Hey folks, Brian and John and Chad are here. This is our first trial run of a podcast that these guys have talked me into doing. I have been opposed to this because I feel like everybody and their brother is doing a podcast. But um, I guess they think that I might have something worth uh, worth talking about. So we're going to see how this goes. It is uh, Saturday, October 17th. We're here at Deer Camp. So we thought we'd share some stories and, um, and just see where this goes. Ever. First ever. So let's hear uh, a tale about last evening up on the bluff. Up on the bluff. <clears throat> so last night, uh, John and I get in and uh, we walk into this new spot, public land, of course, and um, get in there. We get set up. And it takes us a little while, but uh, but we get we got her set up. And uh, to make a long story short, we'll, we'll fast forward to the actual hunting part. Um, we're hunting out of saddles. So uh, I'm sitting a little bit lower than, than Johnny is. And uh, John's kind of glassing in this opposite direction. And I hear footsteps coming in from behind me. And we're sitting at a 90 degree. You know, we're not sitting facing each other. We're so, sitting, so maybe we should back up a second. And make sure that everybody understands that we don't just normally go and sit in the same tree together just because we want to be close to each other all the time. Well, that's part of it. That's part of it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Bond. it's, it's, it's a bonding, bonding, like a male bonding moment. Right. Yeah. No, J- Johnny is the film man. Trying to trying to capture all this stuff on film. Yep. So we get to get set up, get John's camera gear and all that stuff set up. And anywho... Uh, I can hear footsteps coming in from behind me, and I, I, I slowly reach up, I tap on John because he's glassing. John, I think something just came in behind us. And uh, John looks, he's looking, he's, you know, moving around, looking. Like, I, I, don't, I didn't see anything. Yeah. And John's looking. Oh, nothing there. You probably thought it was a squirrel or something like that. Maybe a big fox squirrel. That's usually what it is. (laughs) I'm like, dude, there's I know something's back there. So he looked again, he's like, "Mm," shakes his head, nothing's back there. I kind of do a little swerve with the uh, with the saddle, just shift my body a little bit, and pretty much directly underneath me is one of the biggest bucks I've seen. That we've ever seen. (laughs) Just standing there, probably three yards from the base of our tree. And I twirl around like, John, there's a big, a big buck. We use some choice words in there, but <laughs> there's a giant buck right underneath me. And uh, so then he still can't still, see it, right? Brian's, Brian's blocking my, my entire view. He is directly behind Brian, and I can't see him. Finally, Brian shifts just a little, and all I can see is the back maybe quarter of him. So this so, thing is like right underneath you guys. Pretty much, it, it was three yards from the base of the tree. Hmm. Yeah. So then I shift. He can see the rear end of the deer, and then I shift a little bit more, and then he can see the rack. And I'm watching John's reaction. My eyes were already big. 
but John was get fiddling around with his camera. I'm like, screw the camera. Like, don't move. He's right underneath me. Uh, he's starting to get the camera, but then once he sees the buck, he just lets the camera, lets go of the camera and grabs his bow. So the cameraman just became the shooter. The hunter. Right. <laughs> I broke the number one rule of, uh, of the cameraman in filming hunts when it comes to it. Concentrate on... Don't worry about it. But but in all fairness, I said, John, I think I think you have a shot. Like because I was blocking so, so he could have drawn back, the, the buck wouldn't have seen him. Uh, so he had the shot opportunity. So I get my cell phone out. That was actually quite gentleman like of you to, to do that. Well it's just it's just what we do. Sure, sure. That's yeah. how we operate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I grab my cell phone out of my out of my cargo pocket. And I start recording it basically right, you know, between my arm and my leg, looking back, looking down at the phone. And I'm recording. I'm like, why isn't he like, like, this should be a dead buck. Why has he not shot yet? <laughs> and uh, just waiting for it to turn a little more broadside. Right. Something. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, come on, shoot. <laughs> and um, I hear this ting and... Well, John, you can explain your well, your point of view. Lo and behold, I get my bow and I go to draw. And I pull back and I'm just about at full draw. And the arrow comes off the knock and the string falls. But it's hanging there because it's I'm shooting with a hamski rest that's got a, a guard, I guess. Mm. Uh, that goes over the top, and it's wedged in there. Well, it it falls and it tanks. The deer doesn't move, doesn't do anything. No. I don't think it hurt it. Deer didn't hear it, just still standing there looking around. I'm thinking to myself, oh, Jesus, you know, what? now what do I do? Trying to get Brian's attention, well, I didn't. I don't know how you're going to do that. When he's paying attention down here, you don't want to make a noise. So I literally tried to grab the vein... <laughs> with my teeth which I managed to and I picked it up but then I realized how do I get it back on the string can you tie a so, cherry stem with your tongue I cannot <laughs> I cannot oh so but in the meantime so that's going on I look back up at John his eyes are the size of watermelons and uh, he claims he wasn't shaking or had buck fever at that moment but I'm pretty sure he had buck fever and uh, so I don't know that I had buck fever at that moment. It was the moment after. <laughs> so he had a draw down, and when he drew down, that's when he the the arrow. Yeah, the big it was a ten pointer. The big ten pointer either saw or heard something, looked up for just a split second, and and bounded off like one basically just one bound, and now he's at like ten yards, maybe ten yards. It's still not very far away. And John's able to knock it quick and get an arrow back. But in that time, I put my phone back in my pocket because I grabbed my bow thinking that I could get a shot. I have my bow. He's at full draw. Again, the buck's at maybe 10 yards. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm like, shoot, shoot, shoot. Uh, and he, I hear this thwack. I'm like, awesome. He must have just nailed it. He nailed a buck all right. A buckthorn. A buckthorn buck buck tree. <laughs> Dead center. 
Brian's sitting there wondering what's going on because I'm back there cussing and swearing yeah. <laughs> under my breath. And I drew back. I, I will honestly say I probably did get a little excited when I drew back that second time. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that I put a little too much pressure on the old release a little prematurely. Yep. But then, uh, so he, again, this buck still didn't really know that we're there. He just acted as if, you know, something to spook them. So he just walked up the hill away from us a little bit through some brush. And, uh, I drew back cause I'm like, all right, if he keeps going this direction, he's coming out into an opening. Uh, so I drew back. I was at full draw, just waiting, waiting, waiting. He finally comes out. But he's beyond where I thought he was going to come out. So shooting a single pin sight, I had it set at 25 yards. And just quick in my head, I'm like, all right, he's probably 5 to 10 yards beyond that. So I put the pin at, at the top of his shoulders. And as soon as he came out in the opening, what I thought was an opening, uh, I let that arrow fly. It sounded like I hit him. But uh, we can't find, unfortunately, we can't find an arrow. But there's no blood, there's no hair. Retract. He we watched him then again, just bound one or two bounds, and then he just stood there for maybe a minute, 90 seconds at most, and, and just walked on. And we couldn't with the binoculars, couldn't see any blood, couldn't see that we hit him. Um, so I think it was a clean miss. Johnny at that point was videoing with his camera, and uh, we've done slow-mo. And it looks like the arrow went just, just underneath him. Right underneath his brisket and just missed his front legs. Yeah. I think. Do you think maybe like, you know, you were holding and then you you get that excitement and then all of a sudden you shoot, but yet your follow through, like perhaps maybe you just kind of came down a little bit, which sent your arrow a little lower. Could have. Could have. I was thinking that just now. I mean, it, at the yeah. time, I felt like it was a good shot. But then afterwards, you know, just like any time you, you start second-guessing, like, was I even looking through my peep? Was I, right. you know, but at the time, I felt good. I felt like, you know, muscle memory took over, you know, all the practice you do, uh, that took over. And then, but then that time between when I shot and when we watched the video, I had a thousand different scenarios going through my head. But then watching the video, I think it was all good. It's just maybe that arrow, there's a lot of twigs in between me and him. It hit a twig and it veered off, or I just wasn't aiming high enough to make up for that yardage difference. Sure. Yeah, it's so. a little hard to, we think we can see where he was in the video, but it, it's a little difficult to figure out exactly on that uh, on that side hill to know truly. But, but we scoured that was. hill uh, looking for my arrow, looking for blood, looking for hair. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing, nothing there. So I think my arrow's either buried into the ground, or it, I hit a. It sounded like I hit something, so I must maybe hit it. There's a lot of rocks there. Yeah, deflected like yeah. Right up the hill, deflected up or something. Yeah, or left or right or who knows where. Yeah, it was. Right. Yeah. We searched both last night and this morning, uh, and nothing. So, so I'm pretty sure that it was a clean miss and. Um, you will live to well, see another day. And and after that happened, we just we decided that's probably best because maybe he just needs to be a little bit bigger. 
Sure. Well, if you don't let them grow or go, I should say, yeah, they will they're not, not going to grow. Yeah, you know that. Let them go so they grow. I think. Right? I think he had yeah. one more year till he hit his full potential. You right. Know. Yeah, he was probably he was only, only 20, a, he was only twenty inches wide. Yeah, he was only maybe a probably a five and a half year old deer. So we were trying to just you know get six and a half and, and older. So. Sure, yeah, that's a respectable you know mm-hmm. goal to go for all the time for whitetail. Right, whitetail. even on on the public land access, it's probably like two hundred inch deer running around. Oh, for sure, zone. every little oh, piece of public. I think you know that some of the they're out there. the biggest bucks I've seen have all been on public land. Yeah, yeah. And people were giving us a hard time because, granted, we didn't have a shot at the other one that we got. Yeah, there a few like, weeks ago. A few weeks ago, we had a really nice eight on video that kind of snuck in on us. Here again, it was rainy Rain, that night. Didn't hear anything. Couldn't hear anything, and the next thing you know, I turn and I look, and I'm like, oh, there's a deer. That night, Brian's like, I can't see it. Well, here his bow is in front of him, and his bow was blocking the no. blocking that deer. Uh, What's interesting, though, like with both of those scenarios, is like you guys are doing something completely different now. It's it's one thing if you're set up in like a double person stand, or you've got a mm-hmm. set where one guy's in a tree stand facing this way, another guy's ninety degrees, whether you're filming or bull hunting. But I think foraging or pioneering into the saddle hunting world and then trying to do all the components of of videotaping it there's excuse me there's definitely like layers of complexity that come with that it sounds like with trying to just figure it all out i'll tell you this the first time like a a poetic dance that needs to be well it wasn't a poetic dance the first time john (laughs) and i seen us the first night (laughs) the first night we went up hunting and of course we didn't we did a little practicing in the backyard but not much i i saddle hunted a decade ago when trophy line was was kind of originally out and about so i saddle hunted for a couple years so i was familiar with how to do it it's just been 10 years. So I've kind of, I was rusty. Um, but this year, both of us going up in the same tree and setting up. I mean, I told John, I was like, I think we look like two bears trying to hump a tree. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. When you're bringing up your, you know, the pack that we're bringing up and all the gear and stuff. Well, like and the that. camera gear. Like it's one thing if it's just the two of us. With bows. But, but then with your yeah. camera gear and then hanging all that around the tree and figuring out how you're going to get two, sure. two bows, two packs, camera, you know, all that stuff. It is, uh, uh, there's an art to it. But now we've done it. Maybe a, a what ten times maybe so far oh, this yeah. year. Yeah. We're, we're starting to get the hang of it. Yeah, uh, starting to get where to place certain things. Where you know the one thing I'm always I always have my optics on me. I just have to do that. So I have a a, a big harness strap. A uh, what is it? A Alaskan, Alaskan guide, creation. guide creation. Unfortunately, it's just too big when you have uh, the tether and the bridge from my saddle. It just gets in the way. So now I'm trying to figure out where am I going to put my binoculars, where am I going to have my range finder so it's all real handy. And we're, we're getting it dialed in, but it's everybody's different. That's the cool thing with saddle hunting is that uh, you really can uh, customize how you have the saddle set up, how you have the tree set up. It just Very makes it so. it's just more fun because, to be honest with you, it was, uh, you know, deer hunt, once I started elk hunting, White tail hunting got to be a little bit boring for me. More, more mundane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but now with this with with the saddles being more popular and us getting and hunting out of them it's more fun and i've never hunted some with somebody in the same tree before yeah. until this year mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. actually fun because you can kind of shoot the shit a little bit and and you know, tell stories, and right. tell stories, that. and do a little and miss uh, miss big deer. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the funnest part. Mm. No, I went. Uh, I went and traded that 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 whole event last night for anything. Sometimes Granted. it's the stories that where you don't connect that you remember more than than when you do get all oh, the deer. Yes. Well, just like you know, you you learn by your mistakes. You yeah. you learn by. Um, by failures, not that this was a failure. I think anytime when you encounter a, a big mature buck like that is, is a win. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just uh, uh, you don't do that every day. So when you do do that thing, you just kind of throw all of your your thought process out, and it's just reaction, right? You know, so you know, it's interesting that you guys talked about with, and I haven't heard you guys tell a lot of stories about saddle hunting, but. When you go into a spot like that, that's fresh and new, and you guys weren't really focused or fixated on a stand location, right? Like people that have private land, you get a stand and you're like, I'm going to that stand. And we were kind of talking about last night, like how one time I was going to a stand and I came upon a bedded buck and then did some, made some failures and mistakes on that hunt as well. But the mindset of going to a location versus you guys, when you're going in with, we're going to go look at the area. We're going to look at trails. You guys sounded like you found like that intersecting mm-hmm. place where two heavy trails came in. So the versatility, but yet giving your, giving you a little more free reign to use your woodsmanship right. versus just exactly. like, I'm walking here and I'm sitting here. Right. That's kind of, I mean, there's de- definitely pluses and minuses to having preset stands and, and locations. But the cool thing with the saddles, even if you're not a public land hunter, if you're, if you have your own land, is that if you have that saddle hanging up, that's and if you see deer moving, let's say a hundred yards from your stand, or if you see a new rub line or a scrape line, mm-hmm. you can throw that saddle up in a matter of 10, 15 minutes and take advantage of deer movement that you might be seeing from your your fixed stand location that otherwise you'd just be sitting there watching them for that day. Whereas with the saddle, you can get in there. You're quiet. You can get up quick. Uh, so there's definitely pluses and minuses uh, for both for private land. Yeah, there's there's too. that and the mobility of being able to literally shoot 360 degrees, right? In a sense, and do it comfortably when you're you're hanging up there. You can you know lean out. You know, like last night, Brian. He was literally almost sitting on his uh, mission platform. He had let his tether down, and he was way down low because he had to get down low in order to be able to uh, shoot, shoot underneath the these these limbs. If you're in a fixed stand, you're not right. going to feel comfortable being able to duck down and lean out. Uh, so the versatility that it gives you. You know, you you see an animal coming maybe from a direction that you don't quite, or that you didn't quite expect. You can very easily move, use the tree, well, and to you can hide yourself. behind the tree too. Yeah. Uh, can you guys shoot like behind yourself? Like if you had to go behind and shoot, you, oh, yeah. you can. You just twirl around and you uh, 
uh, yeah, you can shoot directly behind you. I mean, and you can the, 360 degrees. The literally. issue with two people on a stand, though, you, you're okay. limited to that. But sure. that's why he's got his bow. So, But if you're the only one in the tree, then you can, and it could de- depending on your setup, if there's any limbs and stuff like that in your way. And if, if you had an ideal setup, you'd be able to shoot all the way around that tree one way or or the other. Yep. Um, so what, what we've discovered is we like to set up, or at least when you're with one person, I try to figure out which direction do I think that they're going to come from. And then I set up on the opposite side of the tree so I can watch that way. And, and I'm yep. totally behind. So they're not going to see me at all. And obviously playing the wind and, and, and all that stuff is, is critical too. But um, yeah. And, and being a mobile hunter isn't new to me. I've, I think John also has hunted public land pretty much his entire life. So yeah. we're used to carrying in lightweight stands. So, but even going from that to the saddle is, is one, it's even lighter weight, but it's also not as cumbersome. You don't have the big stand, even though they're not that big, you don't have that clunking around and trying to set up because even, climber. yeah, because yeah. Cause let's say with, with the saddle, even if we're on public land and we get set up and we realize, hey, they're they're moving a little ways away. Before with a stand, even though it's still mobile, I'd be like, dang it, I don't want to deal with this. Like, I'm just going to stay here. But with a saddle, like, it's even, it, until you experience it, it's hard to explain how much more freer you feel from moving from tree to tree. And how quiet you are. All right. Well, last year I did that. Uh, I was set up in a, in a new spot. First time I'd ever done that in, uh, in this particular piece of property. And once you know it, I saw, had two bucks come out in the same spot, but they were 80 yards for me and they went out and around. And I'm like, well, hell, two came out there. Maybe there's going to be another one. And trying to take down my stand and haul the steps and all that other crap and try to say, what a cluster. If I would have had the saddle, it would have been down and up and over there. And And, and it's the stealth, stealthiness, stealthiness. Is that the, is that a word? Stealthiness. 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 You're quieter. I mean, even with, uh, you know, the, the lightweight stands that we had, you know, the XOPs and the Lone Wolves, they're quiet, they're lightweight, but there's more material there that things can bang around. Yeah. And it's just more cumbersome trying to get that in your pack, you know, more straps, all that kind of stuff. And um, So yeah. walk me through, because I'm completely novice to like, obviously I understand the, the, the rope system and it's like a, is it like a three point harness that... You're kind of in in the saddle, but then how are you climbing? Like, how are you getting up to the to the height that you need to? I don't, I don't understand how that works. So you have basically think of your uh, your tree harness, your mm-hmm. safety harness that you have, and you have probably a lineman's belt, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so when you're hanging the stand, you can be hands free. That lineman's belt is is hanging on you. So with a saddle, you have a lineman's belt that you're using around the tree to hang the steps and to hang your platform. And then you get that up into the platform. Once you have everything hung, you're on the platform. You have the lineman's belt around the tree. And then you take what's called your tether. 
which is basically what your uh, traditional safety harness would be tied around to the tree with. So you have one of those. It's a little different, a little longer. Uh, but then you tie that into your bridge, which is two straps that come off of your harness. Okay. And then a carabiner that to, you know, the tether to the bridge. Now you're connected to the tree with that and the lineman's belt. And then you, you tighten up the, the tether, you loosen up the lineman's belt until you make sure that you're safe with just the tether before you totally unlatch the lineman's belt. Okay. And then you're in. you're in. Yeah. You're always connected to the tree. Right. You know, for one thing. Um, if you're using a lineman's belt to the, to, for the purpose to, of it. For the purpose that you're supposed to. And, and I... I I try very hard to life's too damn precious, man. That's the one thing I know is like he uses his lineman's belt no matter what. Yeah. I don't always use it. Because well he's always when we hunt together, he's he's a little bit of a control guy, so he has to put up the step sticks and stuff. So uh, I think he meant that in a good way. Jeff. Yeah, in a very good way. <laughs> uh, but no, when I'm putting my steps up, I always have my lineman's belt on. So Maybe, you know, what we should do, we should do a video on how we actually put up. Because yeah. uh, everybody's a little different, but I like to, I put the first step around the tree because you're at the base. So these are just whatever climbing sticks or is it Yeah, a they're, they're lightweight. Uh, okay. I have the uh, uh, the trophy saddle. Trophy saddle has, or trophy, trophy line, line has their saddle, their mission platform, and their, gotcha. and their yeah, sticks. They just, they just came out with their new mission platform and their climbing sticks. Which is like deadly steady. Like that thing is not moving at all mm. when they get that platform up there. But anyways, you put I put the first stick up, okay? Then I actually climb up on that stick, and I put the second one on before I do anything else. So now I have two because I figure I'm only eight feet off right. whatever I am. If not I'm not, even that. If I'm going to fall, yeah. So I do that to help prevent some of the clunkiness of taking up multiple sticks. Mm -hmm. Then I get everything together because when, when I'm putting them up, I'm going up once, even with John. Yeah. You're not coming up and down to get stuff. So the nice thing with our packs, we can hang the – there's four sticks in total that we hang with and the platform. So I have everything connected to my backpack. That as we're climbing, you take a uh, stick off, hang it, climb up the next one, take a stick off, hang that one, and then you put the platform on. I have my my bowstring attached to my saddle, so once you're in, up and set and have everything set up there, then you pull up your bow, and it's one time that you're going to go. Yeah. How high are you guys usually going? Not super high. 12, 14? No, oh, we're, we're at least... At least 12. Oh, we're higher than that. Yeah? I mean, even out there today, I'll bet you we were... John can 16, get higher than I can. Feet. Yeah. The first time he put long the sticks legs. up, I'm like, dude, I don't have that long of legs. I need like a step stool to reach the first so stick I've, here. I've had, I've had to learn <laughs> to adjust how I space the steps. Yeah. Like I was doing a pull-up. Are you guys to get the next... together, combining both of your steps together so you can we, get... We, could, we haven't done that, but yeah. we've... The issue... So... Kind of cool. The issue you run into with going too high, especially on public land, is that technically you can't, a lot of places you can't cut any live trees or branches. Sure. So if you get up yeah. too high, you're up in all the branches and, and treetops and mm -hmm. stuff. So you actually, the higher you go, sometimes is not 
You're not Sometimes in an it gets advantage. worse. Yeah. Definitely. So we pick a tree basically based on, you know, after you figure out topography and trails and all that stuff, then you take into consideration the wind. Where's the wind coming from? Uh, but then you, we try to find a tree where at least there isn't a lot of debris right around that. Uh, and then as you're climbing, uh, you're, you're also keeping an eye out. It's like, okay, is it, maybe we should only use three sticks. Because if we go up another one, you know, now there's going to be a limb or something yeah. in the way of where we want to shoot to. So uh, you got to be, there's so much more you have to pay attention to when you're doing this type of a hunt sure. than if you're on your own land and you can cut all the shooting lanes that you want. Sure. So. But here again, that's with, with the saddle, the versatility that allows you uh, to be able to do that. Right. You know, you, you don't have to find that perfect tree. You know, a climber. Hell, I, was just I, ha- I hated those things because if oh, you yeah. didn't have the perfect tree, you're, you're SOL. Yeah. You know, or you're in the perfect spot, but there's no good tree, but you want to hunt that spot. But you're just oh, sure. you're either going to hunt on the ground or you're just going to have to go yeah. to a different location. Right. So there's a lot of lot of. You know, we've been in some big trees with the uh, with the saddle. We've been in some that are. And and I'm guilty, small. you know, back several years ago, it was in my head, you had to get as high as you could. Yep. You know, you had to get 20 foot up. Mm-hmm. But it's really not, a, I mean, sometimes you get up that high, you're more exposed sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you just have to play the scenario that you're dealt with of where you set up your tree. Yeah, I, you're probably, so here in the direction that that buck came, we probably were only 12 maybe 14 feet max yeah because he came from an uphill coming down down i mean the video i mean i feel like i could have just reached down and touched, touched him. him you know and he, he probably just thought you guys it. were bears like you described yeah right exactly well, you know it's, 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 two hairy bears it's funny you say that because <laughs> some of the does that i've had encounters with you know they spot you i mean just like any other time they or when they're looking around but they'll look at you and they'll be like hmm that's different so I don't know, especially here in Wisconsin, I mean, deer are used to looking up, right? you know, yes. they definitely and, are. and are they conditioned to pick somebody out sitting in a, in a traditional stand right. and is a saddle something different that is like, mm, that's not, you know, I'm not. I would think too, your body is in a more linear, you know, parallel ish mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. profile to the tree. Versus if you're sitting in a stand, you're kind of more of a, if you're not up against a big tree for a background, right, right. you're kind of skylighted with there. Mm-hmm. With this system, it sounds like you're a little more. Well, and you can be either. I mean, you can adjust your tether, tighten it up, and you can be straight up, straight, basically straight up. You loosen it out. You can be leaning back uh, to form what I would imagine it looks like from a deer. Is this a, a Y a in the tree? Yeah. Why you know you, there's a tree there's a, yeah. a big branch going yeah. off to the side is what yeah. it looks like big branch, yeah. or then you or you bend your knees now you're sitting but you're sitting facing the tree and I, I like that because that allows you to really wrap around the tree and make a good shot mm-hmm. when you're when you're at when you're basically your knees are at mm-hmm. 90 degrees you have a much more mobility to move around John, remember when you were just talking about um, like climbers, you know, like back in the day with climbers, it's like the loggy bayous or the lone wolves with the steel mm-hmm. 
frame on it. Yep. And when you get like a freezing rain day in late October, November, I've actually had it where you're going up and like your stand would slide right. down a popple tree or like a, I don't know, like well, maybe if you had even, a decent it, maple. It didn't even need to be that. It could just be the bark on the tree smooth. and the way it was. If it was too smooth or you yeah. catch a spot like right, that. Yeah. And, or, you know, it, all those little limbs and things yeah. that are poking out all over the place. Don't have to worry about that crap. It's funny that it's 2020 and we've had people climbing telephone poles, linemen, and, mm-hmm. and it's like a built-in, it sounds like it's a built-in, like, redundant safety system. Right. Well, it is. I, so I, back in the day when I uh, got out of college and, and things, I pruned trees for a living and had this big bulky saddle that you'd put on and hang a chainsaw off your hip and throw a rope up. It was the same. It's the whole same concept. And I think there was a lot of people that, you know, a lot of the DIYers that would take systems like that and then mold them to lighten them up Mm -hmm. and and utilize that to do this. So the, the whole concept, I don't know why I haven't tried it, you know, why I didn't try it sooner because I'm very comfortable with going up and hanging up there uh, and doing that. So, uh, and the other thing, I guess, coming bringing it back to uh, people that have their own land, when you have, let's say you have 15 stands out on your land. Well, every fall or every winter and spring, you have to go out there, loosen them up. You have to make sure that they're, everything's set with the saddle. You don't. You could have, you know, sticks up these, and, you know, you obviously have to loosen those sticks up for wintertime or springtime so they don't grow into them. But right. there's not all the maintenance that you would have. Yep. Uh, all you need is, is one saddle and, and multiple stick. Climbing sticks. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Are the sticks, like, three feet, four feet? Like well, that I mean, you could use whatever you want it to. Sure. I mean, you the could use trophy line models. Yeah, it. the trophy lines are tw- I think 18, 18 to twenty inches yeah. long, okay. so they're short. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get four of them in a, in a pack. Um, but again, if you space them out, depending on how tall you are, you can get you know twelve to fifteen foot. Yeah. So I I I went with the new Hawk Helium sticks. That I think those are twenty. They're a little bit longer than the trophy. They're either twenty or twenty-one inches. But what I like about them, and this is just a personal preference thing, is that you have a double step on both so sides. On, yeah, on both sides, so you can have both feet uh, up there because it, it's always been awkward for me, even on, even on a. a stick that you would put together you know mm-hmm. a 20 foot stick it always seemed like i want to have this foot on here instead of this foot mm-hmm. or you know i get up to the top and then i'm one's up here and one's down here and trying to bring the or transferring to your platform, platform and yeah things, so well that that's uh yeah the trophy line you have two steps one top and bottom and then you can uh, you know put them whichever side, on the side you want. or the other uh, there's definitely pluses and minuses. I mean, they're going to be probably a little, a little bit lighter weight. Definitely lighter. Uh, but yes, the, having that double step, then you don't have to worry about what step you're stepping on first. But you know, with my setup, I just know that 
the top step, because there's four of them, on the, on the bottom step, or the bottom stick, the top step of the bottom stick, you follow me? Yeah. The top step yeah. of the bottom stick yeah. is going to be pointing the opposite direction that my platform is going to be on. Okay. Because then that allows me, when I get up to the top, to put my opposite foot and plant on that and push off and, and step over on your you know, onto the platform. So, so are you securing your platform in when you're hanging from your at your top right step and then yep. you're getting that last piece in to get your platform and, in? And depending on how high you need to get or the setup, sometimes I put the platform at the same height as that top step mm -hmm. so that you have another step that you could transfer over to if you had to really get, depending on how big the tree is, you could use that top step as a part of your platform yep. to get around the tree. So yeah. one of the things that uh, that I've done in, I know you can buy them. I built my own, but I added an aider, what we call an aider to my bottom stick uh, so that I actually have, it, it's seatbelt webbing that comes down and then I've got uh, some stiff cord in the bottom and it hangs, you know, I don't know what, 18 inches, 18 inches down below that first step. So when I put my first step up, I do it so I can step onto the aider, put my foot in that, then I can get up onto that next step. And it just allows me to get just that little height. bit higher, a little bit um, more height. Now you could do that on every one of them. Um, if you wanted, there, there's guys that use different methods, even from uh, climbing where they'll take, say, two sticks and they put one in, they go up, they get themselves tied in, they grab the other one, put it up above, and they just daisy chain themselves uh, going. But uh, and the other thing that I noticed that you've done that I have not, I did these on my uh, sticks for my tree stand, but I never, I hadn't tried them out yet is that John took the buckle off, the cinch strap to the steps, and he, to lighten them up, so he's, you, there's a special way that you tie the knot onto the step instead of having that cinch strap. So one, it, it lightens them up, but then the other thing is it, it quiets, it, it's quiet because you're not accidentally hitting that loud buckle onto your steps or onto, onto the platform. But what I've noticed, though, is that when you're climbing up a tree and you don't get it set just right, you know, when you have it tied, well, then you have to dink around and untie it and tie it again. Um, but with a strap, you can just Hold cinch it, it or yeah. loosen up real quick. It's much, even though it adds a little bit of weight, which isn't a big deal, uh, it is quieter if you don't have that buckle. But what I found with having setting them up both ways, I prefer to have that buckle because sometimes you have to get that step just right or cinch it down. Mm -hmm. And in reality, you're not saving any time. I think, I think it's, mm -hmm. I think you're probably spending more so. time with the, with the knot than you are with the cinch strap. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's just, you got to be a little bit more methodical so that that buckle doesn't hit something. But uh, I think it, in the long run, it's going to be quicker because you can get that, get your stick on the tree more secure than if you just do the little special knot that you do. Well, and the other part is taking those buckles, and that's what I did on my platform. 
on the new platform, the cinch strap that's on there, the buckle, I actually just took KT tape and I taped up yeah. the buckle and it just deadens it enough so it's not this ting. Mm-hmm. Now it'll still make a noise, make a noise yeah. but it doesn't sound like metal, hit, yeah, like metal hitting metal. Yeah. Uh, and some and people are going to be like, well, what, what, you know, whoop de doo ding dong, who cares? But when you're doing mobile hunting, most of the time you're getting close to where you think they're betting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're, and you're, you're setting getting, up. Yeah, you're getting right in there. Yeah. Uh, hopefully within 100, you know, for sure 200 yards, maybe sometimes within 100 yards where you think they're going to be betting. Mm-hmm. So you got to be super quiet because uh, if that buck, especially mature bucks, they hear one thing, you know, they're going to be like, you know what? I'm not going to go that direction mm-hmm. when I'm going to get up. Yep, very true. So, hmm. So where did you two guys start hunting together? Where did, where did this whole relationship start? Now that you have all this experience of sharing, hugging a tree together. <laughs> right? It's been, yeah, that's so true. I don't even know that I really know where you guys It really, it all, it all started because of Brian's, um, Brian's actual daytime job of his personal training. And uh, at that time, the train to hunt uh, competitions, you know, I, I was, I've always been a bow hunter, you know, since I was 12 years old, I guess. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it, even though people don't realize it, life is so much easier when you're in in some kind of shape (laughs) uh even here in wisconsin you know and and the fact that i have hunted public land for it's 20 30 plus years whatever but uh brian was putting on his uh training programs these group training programs for this train to hunt uh events at blackhawk bow hunters in verona you know, I live hell mile from there, uh, and it gave me something more to do in throughout the summer months of not only getting in shape but doing what I love to do, and that's shoot my bow. You know, you not that I would always wait until two weeks before season to pull it out. I used to shoot it quite a bit, but. I'd kind of gotten out of the habit of that a little bit and wanted to make sure I uh, got back into it. But, um, yeah, Brian's love of fitness and combine that with archery. I don't know if it's a love. It could be a love-hate relationship. Well, it, it <laughs> certainly can be. I know we hate you sometimes. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, Chad? Yeah. In, a, in the most respectful, loving, hateful way. Exactly. So that's where it all started, what? Three years, three years ago, it's I think it was three and a half years ago. And uh, it's just grown from there. You know, I, I I see the passion in Brian for these events. You know, he now has has taken this all on on his own and created the Beast Mode Archery Challenge um, and these Beast Mode events. Uh, and I guess I'm gonna <coughs> excuse me type of person that if I see somebody putting their, their, you know, 
blood, sweat, and tears and their effort and and the love for it into something that, you know, I'm very passionate about it. I want to see him succeed. And I've tried to do anything and everything I can to help him, you know, get to where he is envisioning taking this, uh, this whole beast mode games thing. And because of that, we have spent a quite a bit of time together in these last three years, uh, you know, maybe too much time, probably too much time. <laughs> Our wives would definitely say that, you know, they're, uh, they're convinced the bromance is real. Uh, yes, very much so. <laughs> um, what do you but think it's... connected you guys? Like when you first met, like just, was it like a conversation? Was it just kind of just over time you guys were seeing each other because you were going to train and everything and just chit chatting and I, I common think interests. we have a lot of, you know, a lot of common interests. We, we, um, well, we're both ideas guys too. Yes. Like, like I have like big ideas, uh, but I'm not always good at implementing them, mm-hmm. which is why I have a great wife. She's very good at helping me implement <laughs> stuff. Um, but we would brainstorm a lot of stuff or right. I would start throwing things at him and be, Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Sure. And, and how can we make that work? And uh, then we'd sit down and try to figure it out. We'd do some trial runs and do that and, yeah. and you know, do this and, uh, and stuff. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's grown. I think the, the friendship, the, the you, you would call it a friendship. Thing. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Friendship. More like a right? stalking. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Did but, you guys know each other or of each other at all before that? So I like didn't really know Brian uh, before that, but I knew his brother. Actually, I knew both of his brothers, uh, Mike and Tim. Mike I knew much better because of uh, uh, our relationship at Vortex Optics. Mm-hmm. Um the company that I work for is a supplier for, for them, for their warehouse equipment. And I'd known Mike, uh, quite a few years, you know, probably a good five years before I even met Brian. And so, so that's where part of the similarity, you know, or the, I can see the commonality came from and, and stuff like that. So Brian, did you know your brother knew John or not? Uh, no, John was on the, the board for Blackhawk Bowhunters, or he still is. I am now as well, too. And that's, that's how we originally met was I was trying to get my hunter fitness class to be able to have that at Blackhawk. Okay. So I had to, you know, go to a board meeting or a couple board meetings and, you know, explain what I wanted to do. And, and fortunately, John and there's some others that were on board with it, um, there's some that weren't. I mean, there's still people that think that what I do is kind of crazy. I think it's kind of crazy sometimes too. But well, yeah. you know, a lot, of, a lot of the legality things. I mean, you're running around, you're shooting a, your bow and arrow, and you just want to make sure that you know we're being as safe as you can. So I, I understand that. I get that. But, but John was on the board, and he's like, so they finally allowed me to do a class there. And John was like, you know what? I'm going to do this because I think at that point he wasn't as active as what he probably would like to have been and and that's really what this is all about is getting people you know a lot of like-minded people that have the passion of hunting to just be healthier 
And yep. if it means uh, doing a competition, great. If not, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But the competitions, yeah, they're competitions, but they're also to, to bring people together and, and to form friendships and to cheer uh, everybody on. You know, it's not, these events aren't full of, of ego-minded people. It's, it's full of people that want to do the best that they can and want to see, you know, the person next to them do the best that they can. So right. it, there's, there's a, there's definitely a certain camaraderie. There's uh, <clears throat> it's not all about me at that point. Uh, you know, you want to see the rest of this group succeed. And um, yeah, we've built some great, relationships some great friendships you know i mean that's that's truly really where brian and i kind of fell in with that and you know to back up i i used to run marathons back in the day and all this other stuff kind of let myself go um even started heading down the wrong path in a sense where drinking way too much and just not take care of myself it wasn't any good for my family and and things and I can honestly tell you that if it wasn't for the, the exercise portion of it, the activity portion of it, and, and that's where I got to, you know, I've got to applaud Brian that for, from the fitness aspect of it, he is an incredible motivator. And he does it in a way where, yes, he can be a real hard ass on you and you just want to just a real prick take it take him out back and all right chad you hold him down i'm gonna get the first punch i'll be out behind the barn there eh? i'll be out behind behind the barn i uh being a new member of the class this year i i gathered that the folks that had the camaraderie with brian i I heard some ribbing and back and forth thing and being a newbie was trying very hard to keep my mouth shut and I hadn't earned any sweat, blood, and tears yet to give Brian any any, any negative or positive feedback right? at that point in time. But uh, yeah, I could see what you mean, John. Though, like as I joined the class and as you kind of earn your stripes within the ranks, I never felt like people were puffed up or yeah. ego or oh, you know trying to like make you feel like you just weren't quite up to their level. It was right. always a very encouraging. They don't, they, nobody. Nobody really tries to judge anyone. Right. You know, you're out there. There's people that obviously can do things that others just can't, no matter how hard you try. I mean, I, I, I take myself, for instance, you know, we, I've been working my tail off at trying to improve, which I have, but there, there's some of those guys that are part of our group that are training. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to right. catch them and, and do what they do, but I don't care. Right. And the thing is, they don't care either. Right. They they will drag me along yeah. and, and pull me along as much as possible and stuff. But to even going back, I you know it, the whole physical activity part of it, and then just the the passion for bow hunting. It has, it's literally, I would say, changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm a much happier person now. I'm better for my, my family, um, better for myself, the, the people around me. Uh, 
getting that heart rate up and sweating and that physical activity, that is the wor- or the best medicine there is in the entire world. I, like, I, I, I believe it. Yoga. I, you know, I well, and I it. think, uh, you know, we were talking about this last night a little bit is, is this year with COVID, uh, you know, a lot of us were under, you know, a different kind of stress. Life wasn't normal, yep. but we still had our Tuesday night class outside following, you know, the, everything, guidelines. the guidelines. And it was almost like that time people looked forward to that day, that class, because it was like all this crap that was going on, it, you didn't even think about it. No, it was like life is normal for that two yes. hours. Um, you're hanging out with, with with friends, you're meeting new people, and uh, you're just enjoying life. And it, it was like reality, it, it was, you know, what pre-COVID was like, I guess, mm-hmm. what people are going through now. So. Sure. I, it, from a mental aspect, it it. I don't know if you want to say it saved a lot of people, but it, you know, mentally, it was needed. Kept everybody you grounded. Know, it kept right. everybody sane. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't <laughs> think I've ever swat as much in my life as I did in the summer of 2020 getting oh, involved Lord. in your fitness program. <laughs> good. That's good. good. I'll be honest with you, too. Like, when I came in, my goal selfishly like i was like wow i'm gonna go in here see what this is all about obviously my expectations were that i was going to be pushed beyond what i would do to push myself but like my goal was to just get in shape for my hunt right Mm -hmm. and that was my mindset going in and the first couple classes like oh yeah they seem like nice people this or that but you know whatever i'll just go and do my two hours and get my sweat in like going to the gym yeah, and then as I got to know all of you guys more and more, well, here we are now doing this, right? But right. like, it's so funny how I don't know how many of your customers come in for that transactional right. experience just to get themselves in shape for their Western hunt or whatever their goal is. But I really ended up becoming part of what you're describing yes. of the community and the friendship, and I think it's the fact that we're doing hard stuff. We're all sweating together. We're all suffering together. We're all, you know, cheering each other on. And it's so, like, real and raw. There's no, like, cheating corners or when John's 52nd birthday comes around and we're all doing burpees (laughs) on the hill together. There's nobody that's, like, you know, not trying their best to to get through that. So I, I, I actually, I had no intentions of making new friends or any of that. And it just you foster you lead in a way that it fosters a very um friend friendly based or community based right type of mindset i think there's definitely a a, it's cool uh the right you have to have the right personality to probably uh enjoy my type of class or the the stuff that i do um is not for everybody but i think it's for people that want to seriously improve themselves Mm -hmm. Uh, and not, uh, I, I think most of the people that come to my class are not people that are already super fit. And that's, I think that's something that people, uh, have a, uh, a misjudgment It's misconstrued. Yes, th- it's. that they think you have to be super fit. It's like, no, you, a lot of the people have, are, have become to that level through the class. 
and that, and I don't take credit for that. It's everybody that is pushing everybody that helps people get to that level. Sure. Well, honestly, like John was saying, we have some very gifted athletes. You know, we have Greg, who is the train hunt national champion two years ago. Uh, he won the beast mode games. I mean, he's just a phenomenal looking at him. Uh, he looks like, a an average Joe. I mean, he's fit, mm-hmm. but it, he's not like this big, huge guy. They're like, Oh man, he's going to, he's going to win it. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. He's the, he's usually the underdog. And he is the most humble person yeah. in the entire world. I, I remember at the train hunt national, the last train hunt national championship that I was helped directing. And, you know, I had trained Greg that whole year and I knew what he was capable of. And I, I knew that he was going in my head, he was going to win it, but nobody else, Thought that. Oh, no. and Greg, I don't think Greg even thought that. No. Brandon, you know, his best buddy knew that. He thought that. But even when Greg was competing, he was competing against himself. He's yes. like, I'm just, this is, I'm going at my pace. Don't care where everybody, anybody else is. He, you know, he didn't care if somebody was in front of him or somebody was right behind him. He just stayed his pace. Mm. And that's the type, I don't know where I'm going with this, but. That's just the mentality that the group has, mm-hmm. is that you, you do what you can do. Everybody's there to cheer you on. And in the end, it's, it's, it's a success. People mm-hmm. enjoy it. Truly, truly, all egos get pushed aside. And I think we have had some people over the years, or I can think of uh, some instances where oh. there are people with egos that come in, but they don't stay. It's just because I think that they're not getting fed, mm-hmm. you know, re- whatever it be. We're not patting them on the back or we're not being confrontational because they're looking for something. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of like leave and, and they don't, they're not open to like what you said. You weren't necessarily th- looking to create new friends, but you're not opposed to it either. Right. So, right. yeah. But. Yeah. The, the thing I want to talk about, or not necessarily talk about, but in connection with my events, you know, the Beast Mode Archer Challenge, and people thinking that you have to be super fit, and you don't. Like I said, a lot of times people come in, they're looking to get fit, or they're looking to be healthier. Uh, and like John said, it, it's about, uh, it's a multifaceted approach to uh, you're doing this because you love bow hunting. You have maybe have a trip coming up, but then also the benefit of that is that you're going to be healthier. You're going to uh, hopefully enjoy bow hunting and, and enjoy this stuff for longer uh, into your life. Or hiking or skiing. Yeah, wh- whatever it is. Yeah, you, stuff. you don't even have to be a bow hunter. It's just, it could be something that... Yeah, just like, functional fitness. Right. Uh, but then also you're just, you feel a, a better person. You're a better person for your family. You're a better you're, nicer to be around with friends, all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. people think beast mode, they think beast mode and they think that it's very intimidating. Maybe it does come up. I mean, just the name in and of itself can be intimidating. Maybe somebody coming into this class or into these events, not knowing what we're really about could be intimidated, but we're there with open arms to welcome people but my point of having it be the beast mode archery challenge is that we all have just like on my hat, find your inner beast. We all have that inner beast. It's different for everybody. You know, some people it's super, you know, for the Greg hacks, it's 
something that all of us wish we could achieve. Mm-hmm. For others, it could be just getting off the couch for that day, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't necessarily need to be you're an extreme athlete. Mm-hmm. Like find that inner beast is for wherever you're at. Maybe you had an injury. Maybe maybe you've been overweight for all your life. You know, it's whatever that next step is, mm-hmm. that is what that inner beast is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, of, one of the things I think, and we've talked about it, you know, Brian and I know have talked about it before and things, but you you really truly have no idea what you're capable of. And this definitely helps you find and understand that. You know, I've pushed myself harder than I ever thought I would and done things that I never in a million years would have thought I'm going to go in and do this. Think about what you'd have done if you had this at 29 or oh, 27 right? or 31. Yeah, here, here I am starting this at 49, you know, or 48, whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm 51 years old and, yeah, 51 and a half years old, basically. And I, I 52 burpees on his birthday would be really Oh, we did 51. Oh, okay. Maybe you did 52. You, you probably missed count. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but I feel better mentally, physically, emotionally, I just feel better today than I did in my 20s and 30s. And I I attribute it, you know, all to Brian and the group and the the things that we're going through and we're doing. Um, But I I guess my point, back to where Brian was, the, the real point is that you never no one truly really knows what they are actually capable of mm-hmm. until you push yourself to, to try and do it. And that was part of my whole thing is I want to see how far can I go right. in a sense. Yeah, challenge yourself. And, and challenge it. And What about marathons? Did the marathons not they quite did, give you that? It or? did at first, but I don't know if you if you're a big runner – you know, I know Brian's I done some running. trail races and stuff, but it is <laughs> literally <laughs> the, I <laughs> mean, it's happen. one of the most boring yeah. sports. Very mundane. And things. And I used to love pushing myself and sweating and working, getting it. But over time, I'm like, I go out for three hours by myself, you know, and, and I'm running along and I'm just, I started to where I wasn't enjoying it because it just, it was, like you said, Monday. Mm-hmm. This, you're with a group of people. Um, you know, there's an aspect of it, something that I've been passionate about my entire life from the archery side and in bow hunting. So it, it's different. And Brian changes things up when it comes mm-hmm. to the classes, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, okay, step overs, burpees, throwing the bag, you know, those types of things. You're always doing that kind of stuff. But it, it's, you are, you're changing up, you're hiking in different places. And and I did not go into it thinking about how much it would benefit me in the Whitetail Woods. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always had wanted to go out west and, and hunt elk and all this other kind of stuff. Well, this made me realize that, Hey, it's possible. I can do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you this year more than ever, 
it has made a difference in just the white tail <clears throat> excuse me the white tail woods being able to maybe go a little extra further back <coughs> excuse me or uh all in gear all in deer you know what salad. you know what i don't mind going all the way to the other side of the public land well right because a lot of people that are public land home. hunters will only go in maybe a hundred few few hundred yards because yeah. it's like well dang if i get a deer i have to get this thing out of here mm-hmm. now it's uh you know we're going in further and i think that's also the benefit of being a western hunter too is that before i was a western hunter you know i thought going 400 yards from my truck was a long ways mm-hmm. yeah and it puts things into perspective uh, when you're miles from your truck. Uh, that is really not uh, that big of a deal. Um, you know, it just takes longer to get there. But uh, but then also being fit and 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 fit is just a general term. It's just being capable of getting your crap in there and then bringing all your crap and possibly an animal out uh, without you know, having a heart attack. It's the confidence of knowing that you can do it. And that's the big thing. Yeah. It's the confidence. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never done it before, but I, I didn't second guess it. I know that I can get this out And, and, you know, two years ago out in Colorado after, you know, spending and working our tails off with, uh, through Brian's class and stuff, finally get out and, and go on this elk hunt and, and our buddy, who was a part of the group, uh, Jerry, you know, shoots a nice five by five a mile back in. And we had to hump that thing up and over the hills and stuff, you know, a mile in and in and out and back and forth. And I actually enjoyed it. And part of it was because I knew that. I was confident in myself that I knew I can do this. Yeah, because you had been going yeah, to Brian's class. because we'd been going to the class. And you get, like, desensitized mentally to a lot well, you of do. different factors, I think, by doing that, mm-hmm. you know, hanging out with the yep. crew and then doing it on a weekly yeah. basis. But, I did, you know, did, again, and that's part of hopefully this, some of this podcast, not necessarily this one, but, you know, future ones, whatever, that, that Brian and our group that we can get the message out that really if you want to be fit if you love being in the woods being active active, you know you love to bow hunt um again you don't have to but uh it's this is going to benefit you and you don't have to be that beast i by no means man especially when i started i can tell you i was no beast I had a hard time putting 25 pounds on my pack and making that short loop around <laughs> Blackhawk when we first started. I I remember the one night doing the boxes, going out and coming around, and he made us do two. He was going to make us do two loops. I got out after the first one. I dropped my pack. I threw the sand out and <laughs> went on. I had to get... and, that, and that was on flat land. That's on flat ground. <laughs> and, and now, you know, two years later at. You know, we're at Tyrell Basin where we have a lot of topography change and you have, some days you have 80 pounds in your back now. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's, it's just, it, for me, it's rewarding to see uh, people progress. And 
and you're right. You you have those mental barriers of ah, oh, there's no way I can do this. But Very you just true. you start out, and especially newbies like you were this year, it's some, some you know watching your faces sometimes, like your eyes get big when I say what we're gonna do. And it's like sometimes like he's kidding, right? Dude, we just <laughs> we just hiked 500 feet up this dick dragger hill for crying out loud so that's chad's yeah zd from uh another podcast yeah we we named uh, there's not patent pending there's there's a new new run there's there's a new ski run out at the dick dragger at tyrol but mike ritland if you're out there shout out to the dick dragger there you go but you hike Um, to the top of it and we get to the top and all right everybody take your packs off we're doing 25 50 burpees Oh, and then we're gonna run, run down here down. and shoot your bow, and oh, take yeah. your take your uh, brute force bag out of your pack and carry it down here, and I'm gonna make you run up to the top, and then you got to go grab your bow and try to shoot a target. And I mean, that's a, that's the other aspect of it. There's there's truly no way to simulate a high. Heart rate. Well, yeah, and, and and I've had a lot of people ask, can you videotape these classes? Can you write down what you're going to do or what you? To be honest with you, a lot like I have every class I go into it having you know these key things I want to do, but then a lot of times it's just it's ad lib. Like, mm-hmm. well, it's not like a CrossFit training program, right? Where Monday you're going to do this, Tuesday you're going to do that, right. your hit training where you're going to do five different circuits and exactly. this many reps. And it's just, right. that's what I think to John's point is so fun about it is the variety of it. And then yes. kind of, it's an art form right. being in your role to like be the leader where the mood of the class, what the weather's doing, you're right. outside. So there's a lot of things that kind of have to be adjusted on the fly based on Mm-hmm. all those different factors in any given day when yeah. we're all out there together. So yeah. I think that was always kind of fun because we always kind of figured we could pattern you like Micah and I and Scott. <laughs> like, oh, we're probably going to do this tonight. And then it's like, whoa, that just went 90 degrees to the left side. <laughs> right, exactly. Somebody will say something about, oh, oh I don't I think lo- I can do any more burpees tonight. So what do we do? Yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. run to the top of the hill and do 50 more burpees. I, I love it when new people are there and they and – they, open up their mouths and they they say well why don't we do it like this you know what that's a great idea let's do that oh yeah yeah you are a master at uh, <laughs> and then we switch. all find out guess what keep your mouth shut <laughs> <laughs> i knew going in that i should keep my mouth shut but i'm a chatty kathy so i just i had i could not help myself but talking but you know but but those classes and and just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing if it sticks that's also what helps me to come up with ideas for the beast mode archery challenge events mm-hmm. is yep. to, is to keep that some people like to have you know events rather it be five k's or ten k's whatever it is they like to have those same events so that they can measure their success oh i I ran this five k at this time I ran this one at this time this time this time i don't that's not me. Like, I want each event to be different. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want it to be the same old, same old, so that people get tired of doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. there'll be similarities, but I want to be able to take advantage of, if we're at different venues, take advantage of 
the, the topography or ta- whatever it might throw at you, uh, I'm going to take advantage of everything that that has to offer. Well, you certainly know how to do that well, Brian Austin. <laughs> well, he definitely does. I mean, you look at look at the indoor events. You know, sucks that we weren't able to go balls to the wall mm-hmm. here this past year. What, but the 19, the um, 19 and the 20. Right. You know, but prior to that, everyone was just a little bit different. We tweaked it. We, you know, mm-hmm. Brian would have this idea. And to, you know, to his point, hey, this venue, I can do this. We're going to try, we're going to try to hoist this bag because I can hook a rope up to the girder and make them, you know, like you're lifting a, a food bag or a, a yeah, meat, meat bag, bag or, uh, you know, or whatever. I'm going to have them, you know, got to get down on your hands and knees and crawl under this log. And then you got to try to step you know, over and, the next and one. And that, uh, so Ed made uh, the over-unders from the indoor events last year that we weren't able to utilize too much because of COVID and stuff. Yeah. But, but that came from John and I gun hunting last yes. year. Uh, and there's just a lot of deadfall. Well, partly is from all the Colorado hunts that we've done separately, all the deadfall that you have to walk over. But then when we were gun hunting last year in northern Wisconsin, there was a lot of debris that we had to crawl under. I'm like, this is something that we need to have in our events where you have to go over something, go under something, over something, under something, yeah. and then make your shot. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, you know, I'm out there with the video camera as we're walking through the woods, and all of a sudden Brian's got to go down underneath, and he pops up the other side. Oh, we got to do that again. This this might be an idea for the next, you know. <laughs> right. I will have to say that um, when I got to Colorado and we started doing our hunt, and we were hiking around even though we were on a, a ranch, and we we're on trails. There were times we would, you know, go through the timber and whatnot. And there were a lot of scenarios: walking on rocks, going over logs, under logs. We mm-hmm. did all that in the in the real world. And I remember thinking, like that damn Brian Austin, he's a genius. <laughs> he got us all conditioned for this exact type of scenario because everything right. that we did in class and up on the hill, and even the Saturday morning hike route that you guys laid out, I came across every single one of those. Yep. situations right. when I was out. And even, you know, out here in western here, Wisconsin, in the, the bluff country, man, there's rock, uneven rocky ground and right. all those things that if you don't uh, condition your small muscle groups and right. your core strength, like you can, I've done it out in this part of the world where I twisted an ankle or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of landed funny on my knee because I wasn't, you know, using the right muscle groups or I was just weaker or hiking up a hill and you're just sweaty by the time you well, get up exactly. there, and then you're freezing when you're up in your stand and all that kind of stuff. Well, take take us hunting the marsh a couple of weeks ago, and you literally had to high step. Oh, oh yeah, through I'll take, there. I'll take mountains and hills right? and, and marsh any day. And right? I'm thinking to myself, we got our packs on with all of our stuff and carrying our bow, and I'm like, God, those step overs on that box pay it off because mm-hmm. here I am You're trying to pick it. my yeah. leg up and get you know and the, all we're doing is going through this high grass marsh but the the one stuff. so there this past year at the BMAC games that that event looked totally different than what I initially had thought yes. it was because of the di- the different mandates and requirements that we had to follow because of COVID. This coming year in twenty twenty one hopefully things will be different and I can have it more what I originally wanted to be like. Because there's a couple uh, challenges or obstacles that I really wanted to have. One of them being 
uh, an ice bath. You know, going back, I used to do a lot of Tough Mudders, and they had the art, what they called the Arctic Enema. That was a big dumpster that you had a full of ice that you jumped in. It was ice water, and you had to submerge yourself and come back and up come the other back side. Up. And I'm like, it's 90 degrees outside. That right there, oh, like a cardiac shock. <laughs> well, that right there. What if you fall in? You're crossing a cold yeah. creek, and you get a wet. Be, a beaver pond. Or <laughs> yeah, I mean anything. I mean it happens. Yeah. It doesn't happen to everybody. It doesn't happen every year, but. This hey, is why Brian Austin is Brian Austin. Only Brian Austin. That doesn't, doesn't happen to everybody in every year. I think both you and I have fallen in already this year. Or a that, duck that, hunter, somebody that, who's a duck hunter. Yeah, very, you know, that's yeah. so very true. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I try to, like you mentioned before, Chad, functional fitness. And that, again, is uh, being in the fitness industry for 20 plus years, I've seen every fad and every different type of training philosophy uh there is and for me it's you know i've gone through definitely my evolution of training of how you know training for different sports training for different activities uh and now i'm at the point where uh you know i hardly ever for me myself i hardly ever pick up a dumbbell or a weight you know it's it's a lot of functional stuff it's it's backpacking uh using your pack for for weight using a sandbag uh for weight uh doing body weight exercises mm-hmm. um and just being I, i've gone beyond that point of you know wh- which we probably all have been there of that uh exercising to look you know to, to look the part mm-hmm. i don't I'm to the point where I don't care. I, I I like to have my apple pie and ice cream. Like I'm not going to have the six pack abs anymore because I'm eating right. my apple pie and ice cream <laughs> and, and I'm going to enjoy life. And I think that's the type of clientele that I like to work with people that want to still enjoy life. You know, I, I still have clients that are training very hard and specific for something and we need to be very, uh, you know, uh, cut and dry with, with things. But uh, I look at that myself and I'm like, this is not, that's not who, I don't want to be that person anymore. It's, it's, it's just too strict on just to be able to enjoy life. You well, know? You, you look at what we do and really, and I think that's one of the things that drew me to this as well is you're not in a stuffy old gym. You basically can grab stuff out of your garage. I mean, granted, you know, like the three of us, we've got backpacks that are, they're meant for this kind of thing. Now now I do. Now you do. (laughs) Dude, I I remember the first time you came to class, you and and Micah and Scott. And you had to, I don't know what they were. They were uh, got that black North Face pack. Yeah, it was just like a like a it's school a back, like a school backpack, backpack yeah, yeah. with I don't know what, how much weight twenty five or thirty pounds. Like, I had four. I think these guys are going to be suffering. <laughs> Their shoulders are going to be killing, and I'm just chuckling to myself. <laughs> but, but to that point, though, you did it, and you did it for right years almost years. the whole <laughs> summer. Well, yeah. and, it's true. It's true. Oh, so, my yeah. point is, you don't have to have. The top of the, the line top of stuff. the line stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It just and goes things, back to her saying, "If you're going to be dumb, you got to be, be tough." tough. Right. And, and and that kind of goes with equipment that you don't like. John saying you don't have to have the top of the line stuff, but the top of the line stuff makes it more comfortable. Yes, 
and not that we're looking for comfortable, but we're looking to be able to be in the field longer, mm-hmm. be able to train longer, uh, or whatever it might be. When you have stuff that's subpar, you know, you're going to have aching joints. You're going to have feet that hurt. You're going to have shoulders that hurt. Right. And it's, it's, yeah, it, it you got to be tough, but then also you're not training to the maximum that you could be right. and you're not enjoying it. I guess if you want to call it enjoying it, you're not enjoying it to the point that you, that you can't. Well, you, yeah. you, you're not, but I think you guys are my, jealous my, of the color of my, um, Red and yellow. Red pack. and yellow yeah, pack. That was the one that, <laughs> that I was, was the prettiest one. <laughs> that was the nice one. That's the one that I was thinking, not the black North one. I was one. thinking, who are these city slickers? Like, what <laughs> <am I doing? laughs> but to, but but my point being that, you know, I, if if you go out to the I don't know if it's on the Beast Mode YouTube channel or the GFB Outdoors YouTube channel, Brian and I it, Brian's idea. Uh, we went out and we shot a video of really Brian doing all these exercises and all he had was his backpack. I, I have watched that. Yeah, that's um, a good and one. really, that's all you need. You know, you don't you don't need all these fancy machines and, right. and, and, and all this and weight. And, do those help with certain things? Yes. Uh, will they give you an advantage? Maybe so. Uh, but for the type of Type, you know, specifically talking about the Beast Mode Archery Challenge event and hunting, because that's why we do these events is to better ourselves yeah. for hunting. You know, that's really one of the one of the top reasons why I do these events is to keep people motivated so that you're practicing with your archery equipment, you're being fit, and it's something to keep you motivated and accountable throughout the year so that when it comes hunting season, you are ready to take advantage of your hunt. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, you don't need you don't necessarily need all of this other equipment. You know, it's it's you know kind of being a minimalist, doing uh, being a minim- minimalist, but then also having a multiple. All of your equipment should have multiple purposes, and yes. that's what it comes yes. down to. Our equipment is is our pack, is our weight for a lot of different stuff. The, the sandbag that you have in your pack that we use the brute force bags. It's a sandbag. It's just dead weight, but then also you can take it out. And you can do a lot of different exercises with it wherever you are, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. instead of carrying Strictly around dumbbells and stuff. And carrying right. carrying those around, and then the the other part where I was trying to go with it is, man, you're outside, you're outdoors, you're you're you know, we have become a society where we spend so much time inside shelter, behind a com- shelter behind a computer, you know, a phone or whatever. And we've got this beautiful right. country out here to go and explore and and things like that. So that's really that's a, that's a you know the, what it pushes the, me. the whipped cream on top of the Sunday yeah. is the outdoor aspect, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And that'll so. be interesting as we move into winter to see how that all transitions. Well, you know, it was uh, let's see, eight years ago. Eight, nine years ago, I did a boot camp during the winter every Saturday morning, and it was outside, no matter what the weather was. Mm. I had roughly eight to 12 people that, that came every Saturday, and we did it. Some Saturdays, it was great. It was gorgeous during the winter. Some Saturdays, we had a blizzard. Mm-hmm. But no matter the weather, we were there. We were going. And depending on how deep the snow was, 
it was different on what we could do. We could shovel your driveway. That would be a, a good. Well, you know what? I, I've been thinking about doing a a, a, a class <laughs> where instead of doing these exercises in functional fitness, that you actually come to my place and we actually do the stuff that you're training for, i.e., mowing the yard, uh, raking the leaves, snow. yeah, shoveling snow. So yeah, I'm thinking that there's going to be, uh, you know. There's probably going to be a waiting list for people to do that. Probably. So I'm thinking maybe here in a few weeks when all the leaves are, like that's going to be a good opportunity for people to come and, and practice what they've been I training can see, for. Sure. I can see yeah. Thursday night boot camp already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the one piece of us... one piece of equipment that you got to bring with you is a rake. It's <laughs> a rake. You want a six pack abs? Right. Get, right. Get I mean, you get you get a good you know <laughs> get those obliques in there. So. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But it, you know, even the winter part of it. I used to live outside when I was a kid. And as I've gotten older, I, you know, I just, I don't go out as much. I don't see kids out as much mm-hmm. as you used to uh, and things. But, you know, we take, okay, maybe we do the, the uh, boot camp portion of it inside. You know, we did it over at uh, Blackhawk there but then we'd get done and all right let's go we're gonna take our packs we go out and go for a hike you know and do a five mile hike through the snow on on the ice age trail or something like that got me outside it just you know back into the my element and well and i think you know for the last i don't know how many years at least three maybe four or five years every friday afternoon you know mid to late afternoon on fridays for people that can get get there we would do a hike during the winter, like it's basically as soon as gun season's over, as soon as yep. December hits, we're hiking every Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And no matter what the weather is, I mean, sometimes we were dealing with ice, you know, so, we, you know, you have cleats on your boots. So you're just, and that's a good time to, to, to train and practice with your equipment. So, you mm-hmm. know, what is going to work for you for the next yeah. year. Um, but I think people are really, people have just gotten soft, I think. You know, it's 20 degrees out. Oh, it's too cold to be outside. Mm-hmm. It, if you're moving, uh, you generate your own heat. Mm-hmm. If you have the right clothing, mm-hmm. you're not going to get hypothermia in the hour, hour and a half long hike. Like, like let's not freak out about stuff and make things, you know, you're I probably two miles from your truck. You mm-hmm. can make it back. You know, yeah, you're, you're not going to survive gonna, that. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. I can attest to going out, starting these winter hikes and... All right, I gotta put X clothes on and go do it. And within four minutes, two thirty you're, seconds, you're stripping down, dripping with sweat and stuff. And you know, you learn how to dress and function within that. So right. what's interesting is, is that we've never been softer, but yet we've never had better technology than what we have right, right now for clothing. Oh. So if you think about that paradigm shift, I of, I chuckle every time I go into REI. <laughs> Because for one, I see all this nice clothing, but then I see a lot of the people that are buying this clothes, and it's like, how are you? Are you actually going to use that for what that is made for? Mm-hmm. Probably not. I mean, it's, it's all about the look. It's mm-hmm. name brand stuff, but uh, it's it's just they they want to look the part, but yet they're not. And really, here in Wisconsin, we don't have you know we have a lot of a lot of great public land. We don't have a lot of places where you can go and hike for days upon days upon days, and right. and 
So it's, it's like uh, people that are going out for a hike, for an hour-long hike, and they're all dolled up and all this stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't, you don't need to do that. I mean, yeah. it's nice that you have Get that. your black and white checkered flannel on like the right. days. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, it's. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, boys, we gotta wrap this up because we gotta get out and get hit back the woods. Into woods here. Yeah, so you guys can't do your time for us to uh, maybe miss another buck here. <laughs> See um, if we can recreate the shit show that happened last night. <laughs> Chad, Hopefully not. Chad's motto is "Let them go so they grow." So we just decided to let that one uh, go last night. Yeah, we gotta leave a few for seed. Yeah, population's a danger. Mm-hmm. Well, but, good talk, uh, boys. Yeah, this uh, this like we said at the beginning, this is our first uh, chat together. We'll see if this will make uh, the podcast streams. If so, uh, you are probably one of the first listeners. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's good for you. Thank you for listening, and uh, we hope to bring more. We hope to be maybe a little bit more organized, and uh, let us know what you'd like us to talk about. There's any specific uh, training or fitness things, hunting uh, stuff. Um, we're just a bunch of uh, average Joes that, um, to be honest with you, I really have no idea why you're listening to us right now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, let's have fun and uh, and get outside and get after it. Right, boys? Absolutely. You betcha. You betcha there. Okay,